Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Tell you what, this morning I am excited about uh, what's about to happen here as Colton's going to be bringing us the word. Just to give you, for those of you who do not know Colton, Colton is one of the originals who helped plant the church seven years ago. And uh, back then it was just Gabby and Chloe, right? And were you pregnant at the time? They have grown, let's just say that, since then. But Colton and Gabby have been faithful to serve in our church. Even their children this morning were here serving, helping set up uh, the signs and everything. And they have just been a great uh, role models for us with uh, raising their children. And Colton has been in leadership since he's been in the church, and he's led like a missional community. He's overseen the ushers, and currently he is leading the men's breakfast that meets on Fridays, Friday mornings, every other Friday at Chick-fil-A on Merriman. That's just a plug for your ministry there. But uh, right now, Colton has been going, over the past year, he's been going through what we would call a ministry internship, where he has been coming to staff meetings and helping plan. He's helped, he was one of the planners that helped plan the move over here. And we've tried to give him a taste of what it's like to be in ministry on uh, the leadership side of it. And so one of the things that we told him at the very beginning was that, Colton, you're going to get to preach. And uh, so he was like, great, you know, so just give me enough time ahead of time. So we gave him two months, right? Yeah. Two months, okay. And, uh, you know, I cannot... Um, tell you how much energy has been put into uh, preparing for the Word of God. Sometimes, I told a guy one time, that he said, how long do you prepare before you preach? I said, at least 15 hours, sometimes 20, 30 hours. And he looked at me and was like, really? Like, you put that much time into what you speak? So anyway, there's a lot of energy that's put into preaching and to make sure that we are saying what God is saying in the Word of God and applying it accordingly. And so we've spent the last couple of months going over the passage that he's going to preach in, and I really am looking forward to him bringing us the Word. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Colton. All right. Well, now that the embarrassment's over, so... Uh... Good morning. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Colton, as you just heard, and I am privileged to be able to bring the word today. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and if you are able and willing, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? Chapter 4, starting in verse 4, going through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray and then we will jump right in. Lord, we are grateful for the gift of your word and the wisdom that it imparts. God, we ask for your guidance and your presence as we dive into this passage. 
We also want to acknowledge that, Lord, like Paul and the Philippian believers, we face our own set of challenges and uncertainties. And so we come to you with our burdens, our anxieties, and our concerns. And we ask that you grant us wisdom and understanding as we investigate your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When uh, Pastor James and Pastor Terry shared the passage that I would be preaching from today, I found it rather funny because as it turns out, they wanted me to talk about gratitude and thanksgiving. But a lot of what we're gonna talk about today are anxieties and worries. Let me ask this question. Who in here has struggled with anxiety at least once or knows someone who has? Yeah, if you look around, it's pretty common nowadays. And here's an interesting fact. Anxiety and thanksgiving are very closely related. Today, we will discover the relationship between the two and explore exactly how Thanksgiving can help us to overcome anxiety and worry. Those of you who know me know that I have a history with anxiety and things of that nature. And for those of you who don't know, let me give you a brief testimony into a time where I struggled with these things. In late 2017, I found myself facing a new reality. It was a time when anxiety really hit me hard and it was unlike anything that I had ever experienced. Out of nowhere, panic attacks became a regular thing, along with anxiety, fear, and depression. See, anxiety had a grip on me. It seemingly trapped me in a world where fear ruled and dominated my thoughts. My mind to seem to enjoy conjuring up worst-case scenarios for everything that you could imagine, and it left me feeling stuck. Honestly, there were days where I couldn't even move. Getting out of bed seemed like an impossible task, and I felt completely helpless. But fortunately, I wasn't alone. In that time, I praised God for my amazing wife who stepped up, and she shouldered the responsibilities that I, as a husband and father, could not. She became a rock that I would lean on in some of the hardest moments of my life. And she stood by my side as we navigated that journey together. For the next three years, my life had become a revolving door of emergency room visits and cardiologist offices. Physical symptoms such as palpitations, all triggered by anxiety, became a constant part of my life. But there was something worse than the anxiety itself, and that was the shame that I felt for struggling with it, which only made it worse. As a man, I grew up believing that anxiety and worry were signs of weakness, and they were sinful. And I carried this burden of societal expectations, which ultimately only added to the anxiety. And during this time, I started a journey toward healing, if you will. I found comfort in the support of Christian influences and mentors, and I sought guidance from a biblical counselor who became a beacon of hope in some of my darkest moments. In the middle of this chaos, I leaned heavy on an incredible group of believers who really got it. They understood that it's okay to be in a difficult place. It's okay to be where you are. But they also understood that God does not want to leave you there. They taught me that reaching out for help, leaning on your loved ones, and holding on to your faith are not signs of weakness, but instead they're the very things that, we lead, that, we, that lead us toward healing and resilience. One thing that they really drove home for me was the importance of putting into practice the wisdom that we find in Scripture, that it's not just about reading it and giving it a head nod or lip service, but it's actually about application in our daily lives. And let me tell you, when we do that, there is an incredible transformation that takes place. Joy and peace 
take root in our hearts, even in the midst of some of the storms that we're in. And so as I reflect on that journey from the grip of anxiety to a place of hope and healing, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul here in Philippians. Here in Philippians, we find a roadmap for navigating the ups and downs of this life. Much like the journey that I've shared, it is a guide to finding peace and joy, and ultimately it is a teaching into how to walk in the truth. So maybe you're sitting in here today and everything feels like it's a mess. The weight of the world literally feels like it's on your shoulders. I have something to share that might just give you a little encouragement. You know, the same hope that Paul found in his own struggles is the same hope that I found, and the good news is it is there for you as well. So let's shift our attention to the passage, if you will. I'm gonna give you some context for where we're at. If you would, imagine for a moment in a Roman prison cell, the Apostle Paul sat, surrounded by damp, cold stone walls, iron bars, his future completely uncertain, and his body scarred by his tireless missionary journeys. Many, upon viewing that, would have expected despair, bitterness, and fear to occupy his thoughts. But if you were to look into that cell, you would find something absolutely extraordinary. You would see Paul with eyes that lit up with an otherworldly joy. You would see him bent over parchment, writing the very words that we are about to explore. You see, his heart and his mind were focused on a higher calling, a divine purpose, if you will, that went beyond his chains and the Roman regime. And meanwhile, while Paul is here, hundreds of miles away in the city of Philippi, we find another group of believers who face their own set of trials. Persecution from Jews was a constant threat, and the world seemed to be closing in on them. For a little context, in Acts chapter 17, it speaks of Paul and Silas and their same encounter with similar Jews in a nearby town called Thessalonica. And it described it as being so intense that Paul and Silas packed up and dipped. They left. They went to Berea, right? They were out. But however, when the Philippians received Paul's letter, I can imagine that they were absolutely astonished by what his words. You see, they saw a message of steadfast faith, an unwavering hope, and an unshakable joy that was beyond his or their own circumstances. So these contrasting scenarios provide the backdrop for where we're at today. In a world that is filled with unpredictability, obstacles, and hardships, our calling is to uncover the same source of joy, peace, and faith that upheld both Paul and the Philippian church. A real key to overcoming anxiety and finding hope in my own life, and as we will discover here in a moment, the same thing that held up, the same hope that upheld Paul in that prison cell is rooted in thanksgiving. And so for that reason today, I have entitled my message, Living a Life of Thankfulness. All right, let's be real for a moment. We all know that our world is full of craziness and stuff that just throws us off balance. And in the midst of all that chaos through scripture, we are invited to find joy, peace, and faith. Now, in this letter, the Apostle Paul drops an instruction on us to always rejoice. Those two little words may sound simple, but trust me, they are more than just a simple, mere command. They are like a roadmap 
to living a life filled with gratitude and thanksgiving in Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to be going over three truths that we are to remember and practice if we are to live lives of thankfulness. Let's look at verse 4 again. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And this is where we find our first truth. Always rejoice. You see, it's not about what we find joy in, but it is about who. This idea pops up all over Scripture. Let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, Paul and Silas end up behind bars again for their faith, right? And guess what? Even in that tough situation, they didn't sulk, they didn't get grumpy, they didn't think they deserved better. They sang their hearts out, showing their trust and joy in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about rejoicing, it is easy for us to get caught up in our circumstances, right? We wait for those perfect moments that make us happy. Like, I'll be happy when I get that job or that promotion. I'll be happy when I find that girl or that guy. I'll be happy when I don't have to deal with this sickness. Those are all things that we wait on to make us happy. But let me tell you, Paul has a different message for us. He wants us to flip the script, if you will, and realize that it's not about what we rejoice in, but who we are to rejoice in. Let me get personal for a second. When I was dealing with anxiety, man, it was a struggle. But every panic attack or symptom would just drag me down further into a deep pit of despair. My joy was rooted in my circumstances, and ultimately I thought that I deserved better. But guess what? I had to take a step back. I had to realize that even though it was hard, God wanted to use that difficult season. I had to lean in to see how he wanted me to grow in that tough time. And that's when I began to understand that real joy comes from him, not from perfect situations that we dream of. And we can find this evidence all throughout Scripture. Habakkuk 3.18 says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even when faced with trials and difficulties, Habakkuk found a reason to rejoice in the God of his salvation. And again, in Isaiah 61.10, we hear these same words, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Once again, it is a celebration of the Lord, his salvation, and his righteousness. These verses that we're talking about, they are not just random incidents. They are part of a bigger picture that is woven throughout all of Scripture. And the message that they give us is crystal clear. Our joy, the reason we should be rejoicing, comes from one source and one source only. And that is none other than Jesus. But here's the deal. Life is going to hit us hard. Challenges, disappointments, setbacks, you name it, you will deal with it. But Paul here is giving us a little pep talk, right? He's saying, always rejoice. He get, and, and get this, it's not because everything in our lives is going to be always rainbows and unicorns. It's because our God is rock solid. So don't think that rejoicing is only good for the, for the good times, right? It is for the lows. It is for the trials. And even those everyday moments when we are caught up in the mundaneness of life, because let's face it, finding joy in the middle of folding laundry is a pretty special gift. 
See, these are the times when we need to remember who we are rejoicing in. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you are thinking, man, I just don't feel it. Colton, I don't have that type of joy in my life. I'd like to offer you this encouragement. If you remain steadfast in the truth, your emotions will eventually align. Your heart eventually will be filled with joy, not because life is a walk in the park, but because our Lord will never let us down. When we rejoice, we experience a happiness that comes from knowing, trusting, and following Jesus. And it is so amazing. The world likes to tell us that money, success, and relationships are where true joy lies. And if we're honest, they can bring us some temporary happiness. But the real deal can only come from the Creator. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It is clear here that God is the ultimate source of satisfaction and joy. But here's the thing. Our ability to find joy in every circumstance, even when life gets tough, is tightly connected to the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is a beautiful reminder of God's amazing grace and mercy. When we take a good, hard look at our own shortcomings and sins, we realize just how much we do not deserve God's love and salvation that is offered through Jesus. Romans 5, 8 puts it, like, puts it perfectly. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That simple truth alone should fill us with constant gratitude and joy even when life gets challenging. And as we walk our faith journeys, our joy gets even deeper because of this close relationship that we can have with God through Christ. Jesus himself put it like this in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. It is this connection with God that fuels our unshakable and long-lasting joy that helps us no matter what life throws our way. When we stay close to God, our hearts align with his desire and joy is the result. We can all understand this idea of closeness and intimacy with God. Whether you are a parent or you are married or you have close, deep, lasting friendships and relationships, this intimacy involves the trust, surrender, communication, knowledge, grace, and forgiveness. All qualities we encounter in these other relationships, but here they are with our creator, the one who knows and loves us most. And that's when we truly experience these things. <coughs> Excuse me, these things. This idea of intimacy with God had a profound impact on me. When I was dealing with anxiety and I felt overwhelmed, I would go to my bathroom, I would shut the door, and I would just spend hours on my face before the Lord seeking him. And it is through that same intimacy with God that our hearts begin to posture in such a way that we can begin to rejoice in him, who he is, and what he has done. And so just as the Apostle Paul tells us 
to always rejoice, he then says, be anxious for nothing. And that is going to be our second truth for today. Be anxious for nothing. And that one is a lot easier said than done. You see, it's no secret that we live in a world that often feels consumed by stress and worry. So I think it's important for us to explore the causes of our anxieties and how our faith can guide us through. In our fast-paced modern world, we are constantly bombarded with news and information on conflicts and disasters and crises and so on. Don't get me wrong, it is crucial for us to stay informed, but this constant exposure can make us feel helpless and anxious. It's important to remember that we aren't in control of hardly anything, but one thing we are in control of is taking practical steps. For example, one practical step that I have found useful in my life is limiting my exposure to news and media. And this is something that I actually still practice in moderation to this day. That nonstop news cycle contributes to our anxieties. And it's in those moments that we need to turn to God in prayer. Verse 6 encourages us to bring our concerns to God with thanksgiving. Through prayer and intimacy with Christ, we can find peace in acknowledging his sovereignty and trusting that he is ultimately in control. See, there is freedom for us in trusting a sovereign God. But the fact that he loves us, man, not only is he good, is he sovereign, and is he in control, but he loves us, you guys. He actually cares about you and I. You know, it's not just the never-ending news cycle that can contribute to our anxieties. There's other stuff as well, like money, worthy, money worries, bills, debts, job insecurities. They all can be very overwhelming. And even Paul went through seasons of having a lot and not having enough. He figured out that he couldn't do anything without Christ. And so even when we're struggling financially, we have a source of strength that goes beyond our circumstances. We have a high priest who cares for us. And he wants us to bring our burdens to him because he loves and cares for us. As believers, one other thing that can also really stress us out is trying to figure out who we are in this crazy world. We start comparing ourselves to others, right? We look for those likes and comments on social media. Um, and we start to feel like we have to fit in with society, ex- societal expectations. And all these things, struggles with our identity, can really lead to a mess within our heads as we try to figure out who we are, where we belong, and what our purpose is. And that is a lot to handle. But Paul's message is refreshingly simple, guys. Our primary identity lies in Christ and nothing but Christ. We are God's children. This truth, if we will grasp it, has the power to free us from the anxieties that are tied to identity crises. It serves us as a reminder that our worth is not measured by the world's standards but by God's love. Another thing that's worth mentioning here is that sometimes in our pursuit of relief from anxiety, we will turn to medications or self-medications. And while these things can be helpful, and in some situations, they are absolutely necessary, 
they are not a substitute for seeking God's peace. Medications may address the symptoms, but they do not cure the root causes of anxiety. For example, medications help me escape from a lot of the things that I was experiencing, but they never helped me to learn what my identity in Christ truly meant. Joy and thankfulness come, came when I began to take everything to God in prayer. I think it's also important to note here as we're talking about medications that when it comes to anxiety, there is sometimes a medical component, but there is always a spiritual component. Check it. Paul has got some advice for us in verse 6 and 7 about this. Instead of relying on quick fixes, he says that we've got to take our worries straight to God through prayer and thanksgiving. And let me tell you, when we do that, we find this peace from God. And it is not just some temporary relief or a quick fix to what we're going through, but it is a deep healing from the core of our anxieties. As we continue to talk about anxiety here, I think it's important for us to understand where Paul is coming from, because it's easy to think, well, this guy was an apostle, right? He was close to God. He probably had it all figured out. There's no way he can relate to what I'm going through. He don't understand my struggles. And I used to feel that same way. And that thought is actually the very thing that kept me from opening up to people, thinking that they were too perfect to understand what I was going through, that they couldn't relate. But Paul had his own fair share of challenges. He knew anxiety firsthand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talked about how he carried the weight of the churches he served. And he even specifically mentioned his anxiety for the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So the bottom line is anxiety is something we all go through, even someone like Paul. C.S. Lewis once said, some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. I don't agree at all. They are afflictions, and like all of, not sins, and like all afflictions, they are, if we can so take them, our share in the passion of Christ. Here, Lewis recognizes that anxiety is not a sign of weak faith, but it is a part of our human condition. Paul himself, despite incredible faith and closeness to God, had moments of anxiety. This perspective is crucial for us to understand because it assures us that experiencing anxiety does not mean we lack faith. And you may be sitting out here right now and you're thinking, I deal with anxiety. Is my anxiety a sin? And this is where I would point you with that question. When Paul urges us in verse 6 to not be anxious, it is not motivated by condemnation. Instead, it is an invitation to provide us with an alternate direction. You see, the problem isn't the feeling of anxiety. It's what we do with it. Anxiety becomes a problem when it cripples us, robs us of hope, and steals our joy. This is where faith comes in. Faith can be seen in what we do with anxiety. Faith put to action produces joy. So here in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What Paul is simply saying is take your worries and hand them over to God. He isn't saying to bottle it up, but he's saying 
to give it to God. Pray about it. And while you're doing it, thank God. This way, what we're doing is we are shifting our worries toward God, and in return, we are seeking his comfort and peace. Paul understood how anxiety works. He gets that it's just part of being human, and it's not a sign of weak faith. The key is how we handle it. Instead of letting it bring us down, we can turn to prayer and take our worries to Jesus. And when we do that, we start to see that anxiety does not have to ruin our joy or steal our hope. It can actually bring us closer to God and teach us what real peace is all about. Oftentimes, when we are grappling with anxiety, we can feel like we need to embark on some grand quest to find a cure. But John Piper says, Christianity means change is possible. Deep, fundamental change. And so here in verses 6 and 7, Paul lays out steps toward that change. He writes simply, seek God in all situations and seasons. And then we have Jesus in Matthew 11 giving us these beautiful words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No matter how tough things get or how anxious we feel, we can always count on Jesus to give us some peace and rest. God is not some distant God, you guys. He is not just standing in the background with his hands crossed wishing us good luck. He is right here with us. And he is fully invested in our lives. And he is ready to offer comfort and peace. So we see Paul has some solid advice for dealing with anxiety. He says to pray about it. Pray about every little thing that's messing with our heads. We got to bring all of our worries and fears and concerns to God. Like really bring them to God. It's not about going to God and whining about our problems. It is about having a heart to heart with the one who actually cares and can actually offer us some peace. And it's about trust. When we give our anxieties over to the hands of the Almighty, we have to trust. And then Paul mentions this thought about being thankful as well. And I don't think it's just a random afterthought. I actually believe it's a powerful tool to help us kick anxiety, worry, and fear. When we start focusing on the things that we are thankful for, it shifts our attention away from our problems. So lastly, Paul gives us what, in my opinion, is one of the most influential tools in helping us cultivate a life of thanksgiving. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And this brings us to our third truth for today, and that is capture your thoughts. And here in verse 8, Paul begins to lay out a powerful concept for that. You see, Paul knew a thing or two about the power of our thoughts. He understood that our thoughts aren't just random fleeting ideas, but they actually shape our attitudes, our beliefs, and how we end up acting. Take it from me, the thoughts I have when I first wake up can pretty much set the tone for my whole day. They affect my mood. 
how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids, how I treat my coworkers and colleagues, how I treat the lady at the gas station, it doesn't matter, how I treat everybody. And so that's why I have this piece of paper taped up on my side of the bed at home, and it simply says, today I am thankful for, dot, dot, dot. And it's a little reminder that helps me start off on a positive note. And when I take time to consider that, it really does help the day start off on a positive note. So Paul knew that our thoughts were like seeds. And whatever kind of thoughts we plant in our minds, they grow into fruit. And that is the fruit of our lives. If we are constantly thinking negative, fearful, and doubtful thoughts, well, then that's what we are going to see in our lives. But if we plant seeds of faith, hope, and joy, then that is what will flourish within us. Our thoughts have a huge impact on our lives. They shape how we see things, the choices we make, and how we interact with others. Just to be clear, I am not saying that we have some magical power to bring things about by the power of our thoughts or our words. But what I am saying is when our minds are filled with anxiety, negativity, it reflects in our actions. And on the other hand, when we fill our minds with gratitude, thanksgiving, and Jesus' teachings, it brings about a positive transformation to our lives and our mental well-being. Now, Paul's not saying here that we've got to live joyless lives. He's just reminding us that real joy and fulfillment don't come from worldly stuff like money or endless entertainment. And society will try to sell us that idea, but as believers, we must know that true joy comes from knowing God's truth. Paul himself found joy in the midst of trials, not because he didn't have emotions, but because his emotions were anchored in the eternal hope and peace that only Christ can provide. So now that brings us to a critical point, and that is discerning the truth from lies in our own thinking. It's not always easy to separate truth from lies. One of the first things that we have to do is we need to admit that our own thoughts can sometimes lead us astray. These lies tend to sneak in subtly. For example, I am very prone to create scenarios in my head when I give in to the temptation to be anxious. I will fabricate a situation that takes me to a worst case scenario and I will dwell on it and it will consume every bit of who I am. These lies come as doubt, negative self-talk or tempting promises of worldly pleasures that will ultimately lead us empty. And spotting these lies is the first step toward changing the way that we think. But it's not just about our thoughts. We also have to be careful, careful about the influences that we let into our lives. Paul's advice reminds us to be cautious about negative influences and not to get swept up in the culture around us. You see, in the, we live in a world that is filled with negativity, false information, and harmful messages. And these come disguised as news, entertainment, and sometimes even well-meaning advice. So we have got to be discerning about what we read, watch, and listen to because it has a huge impact on our thought patterns. Personally, for example, I can't watch horror movies. It's not that they scare me or anything like that, but when I consume that type of media and input, it does something to my soul that just does not sit right with me. It doesn't feel right. So I choose not to, I steer clear of that kind of media. 
And so just like we're mindful of who we hang out with, we have got to be mindful of what we let into our minds. It's not about isolating ourselves from the world, but about being selective in what shapes our thoughts and our beliefs. So capturing our thoughts means recognizing the potential for deception within our own minds and being humble enough to reflect on ourselves. And it also means that we need to guard our eyes and our ears, being discerning about the influences we allow into our lives. It takes some intentionality, but it leads to a transformed thought life that is rooted in the truth of Scripture. So as we wrap things up, let's talk about putting this into practice. Because here's the deal. It's not just enough for us to acknowledge the gospel. We have got to apply its truth to our lives. And so you may be wondering, how do we do that in context of this passage? Let me break it down for you. First, we have got to be mindful of our thoughts. We need to capture those sneaky little things that try to worm their way into our minds. We, can't not let, we cannot let them dictate our thinking. We have got to replace them with the truth and the promises that we find in the gospel. Secondly, we need to make prayer a priority. Like seriously, pray about everything. The big stuff, the small stuff, everything in between. Prayer is what keeps us connected with God. And it helps us align our hearts with his will. It is a way for us to seek guidance, ask for help, and find comfort in his presence. And lastly, we have got to find joy in all situations. And again, I know that one is easier said than done. But here's the thing. This joy that we are talking about, it is not dependent on our circumstances. It comes from knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus. So even in the tough times, we can still find moments of joy and gratitude. Navigating the complexities of this life while living out the gospel is a challenge that we all share. We can all relate. And so speaking of challenges, I have a short story about a 19th century acrobat and tightrope walker named Charles Blondin I'd like to share with you. If you will, picture a scene from the 19th century. Crowds are gathered to witness an incredible feat of daring and trust. High above Niagara Falls, a tightrope is stretched across the chasm, and Charles Blondin, a famed tightrope walker, is prepared to perform a heart-pounding act. And as he stepped onto that thin wire, he knew that his life depended on a single rope. But Charles wanted to make this walk a little more daring than previous ones. And so we here we introduce Harry Colcord. Harry was Charles's manager. Harry had seen Charles perform many times and was absolutely captivated by his skill. Charles had done a feat where he would push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope, and he would ask the crowd if anyone would be willing to get in, but of course none would agree. But Harry knew that Charles was the expert, the one who could guide him safely across the chasm, and so Harry agreed. He placed his life in Charles's hands, and actually, he got on his back. And before they embarked on this journey, Charles had some words for Harry. And he said something that really stuck with me, and this is what I want you guys to take away from this. He said, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, you sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing of yourself, for if you do, we will both go to our death. 
And so ultimately, Harry was the only man to ever be successfully carried piggyback across Niagara Falls. But Harry's story here is not just some wild adventure, but it's actually a lot like our own journey as believers. You know, life can be like walking a tightrope sometimes, full of uncertainties, challenges, and dangers. But here's the thing. Just like Harry relied on Charles, we need to stick close to Jesus, walking side by side with him, in lockstep with him. I mean, our entire existence literally depends on him. So no matter what our circumstances look like, whether they are good or tough, we have got to trust God completely. We've got to understand that it is, it is his grace that keeps us going. And that is why we show thanksgiving as an act of worship. Now, our thanksgiving is rooted in the hope that we have because of what Jesus did on that cross. Kind of like how Charles safely got at Harry, Jesus is our guide through all of the ups and downs of this life. His sacrifice gives us that eternal hope, reminding us that no matter what we face, we are held tight in the loving and capable hands of our Heavenly Father. So as we come to an end, I just want to remind you that we are not alone in this journey. We have got the Spirit to guide us and God's Word to show us the way. Plus, we have got each other. Together, let's keep moving forward, living out the gospel and putting our lives and letting our lives reflect the truth that we find here. That in Christ, we can always find a reason to rejoice. We can be anxious for nothing. And we can capture our thoughts. Amen.